Good morning, everyone. Well, good afternoon. Not yet. Good morning. Oh, no. Good afternoon. Praise the Lord. Hey, I'm still on. I'm still on London time. Have mercy. Jet lag has set in. <laughs> so they really don't. Well, anyway, I want to uh, first just highlight a few important things that are going on today. Um, so as soon as we got home, jet lag is, is still it's real. I, you know, I made fun of it. Hey, jet lag. No, it's real. Seriously. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's real. It's real. Yeah, it's real. Um, and especially real when you're coming back this way. So uh, I got up this morning at like three o'clock, couldn't go back to sleep, and I'm going to be tired in about two hours. That's, that's, how, that's how it works out. But we had a wonderful time, and we thank you for your prayers. It was a blessing to be able to take my family with me. And um, we, God just moved in a mighty way there in London. Got a chance to preach to over a thousand young people, hungry for God. Amazing. Crazy. Crazy to see young folk just pack out a place on Friday night, Sabbath, Sunday morning, uh, just hungry for the word, and uh, we just had an amazing time. Uh, a couple of things are going on today that are important. Uh, first, um, we will be going to a funeral immediately following our services at Strouders for one of our members' uh, son or, or nephew, I believe. I'm not sure. Is it the nephew or the son? Where is Sister? Grandson. I'm sorry. It's grandson. Uh, and so we'll be going there at Strouders Funeral Home. And then immediately after that, we have a wedding at 530 today. David Gibbons and Sandra Light are getting married. That brother stood up. I didn't even ask him to stand and he stood. That brother's ready to go. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Now, David always smiles, but today uh, he he was just all over the place, Sandra. He was all over the place. Couldn't get him to be still. Uh, But his change is coming in a little while. (laughs) And Sandra, wave your hand as well. Praise the Lord. We're excited for them today. Let's put our hands together for them. Praise the Lord. This is what happens. This is what happens when you come to Glenville. Uh, you, you, find, you, find, you find your soulmate. Look, these, these single deacons don't even want to look at me right now. Because if you just hold on, Demario, if you hold on to Keel, stay on the deacon board. God will bless you like he <laughs> Uh, then at 5.30 as well, uh, we don't want to take away from the wedding, but there is a town hall meeting going on with the conference president at the Southeast Church at 5.30. And then tomorrow, there is a constituency meeting for Raymond Junior Academy. Those of you who are um, delegates, you know who you are. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Let's get into the word. All right. Huh. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. The title of my message today is How to Get Away with Murder. How to Get Away with Murder. Amen. What's so significant about that title? I'm sorry. I don't know why, why, why the reaction. Why the reaction? The Bible says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Genesis 4. Genesis 4 verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve. To his wife. Have mercy. Adam laid love to his wife Eve. Come on, say amen, somebody. 
I could preach that all by myself right there. Uh, to his wife. Amen. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. What is his name, everybody? She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. By the way, in the Hebrew, this really suggests that she was expecting that Cain, her firstborn son, was to be the Christ. The promise that was made in Genesis 3.15, she was ready for it to be fulfilled. And she assumed that the first child was going to be that seed that came and crushed the head of the serpent. But instead of getting Christ, she got Cain. Have mercy. Don't turn me down, at least in the monitors. Let me hear myself. Give me a little more. Amen. Then Bible says, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Verse two. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. What is the other brother's name, everybody? Now, Abel kept the flocks. Watch this, guys. And Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord, now watch this, guys. The Lord looked with, what does that word say, everybody? With favor on Abel and his offering. Did you catch that? The Bible says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Are you still with me this morning? And Abel uh, brought an offering and the Lord, the Bible says, look with favor on him and the offering in verse five. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was salty. He was angry. And his face was downcast. Verse six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face down? Are you salty? <laughs> Why are you mad? <laughs> you mad, bro? Huh? Why is your face downcast? Verse 7, if you do what is right, you will, not, will you not be accepted? Huh? Do the right thing, bro. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, now this is amazing, after all that God was trying to do for your boy, watch Cain's response. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Who says amen to the word of God? And so I want to begin our message today uh, sharing with you something that I, I, would, I would describe sort of as a growing conflict in my mind. What, I, what I'm struggling with is, is this, people are getting really hostile to church. Let me say it another way. If you at all are living in planet Earth, you'll discover that when you mention church, on the job, 
People respond not with a welcoming response anymore. Those days are over where people are, where people are, have an affinity or have a liking toward the church. As a matter of fact, what I'm discovering now and what studies are showing is that people are actually indifferent to the church, or most importantly, what we're seeing more now is a hostility towards church and church people. That's what's happening. As a matter of fact, the fastest growing religion in the United States of America right now is atheism. This country that was sort of rooted in Judeo-Christian principles. Pilgrims came over here from, from England. They were tired of religious persecution. said, get here, man, we're going to let people worship as they please. But in the DNA of the United States is Christian principles, period. And so what we're seeing, though, out of every major country, interesting, just having left uh, the UK uh, in England, England, sort of, some folks would tell you, is sort of the, 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 the original place of, of Christianity. But we know that that ain't the truth. Come on, say amen. You have to go read your history. But nevertheless, it does have a long-standing history with Christianity. Most of the denominations in the United States came out of churches in Europe. All right? Now, let me tell you something that we're seeing in Europe. In Europe, Europe has one of the highest rates of atheism in the world. So here's what we're seeing. That, that countries that have a long history with church are becoming countries that are slowly but surely getting to a place where they are hostile toward church. I don't know if you've seen the connection there. In other words, the longer church has been in a particular area or a country, the longer that it has, it has dwelled, so to speak, in an environment and in a culture, the more the culture is beginning to despise the church. Did you just catch that? The places where Christianity is growing are in places where Christianity is apparently new, in new cultures, in places where they don't believe in Christ, places where they believe in Hinduism or uh, Buddhism or, or places in, in, like in Africa and South America where we see Christianity exploding. And one of the things that the, the theologians are saying and those that study this thing, they're saying that Christianity does best when it's fresh and when it's new. But when church has been around for a long time, people get tired of church folk and the church. And so 61%, what did I say, everybody? 61% of former Christians in the United States are between the ages of 21 and 45 years old. So we've got a large population of folks who, uh, they're not folks who are unfamiliar with church. They just have left church. And they don't plan on going back to church because of experiences. So I've been reading a book called Banishing Grace by Philip Yancey. And he's talking about the perspective of how the world sees the church. And in there, he asks a question that he polls people on. He said, when I say the word Christianity, he said, what's the first word that comes to your mind? And I said, oh, man, that's interesting. I was like, now, listen, I had no idea that this thing was going to happen the way it happened. I said, look, I'm going to post on Facebook. I'm going to post a question. If I say the word Adventist. What's the first word that comes to your mind? Had no idea, seriously, had no idea that I was going to get over 200 responses and, and about 10 shares. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Facebook folks, y'all know what I'm talking about. In other words, it kind of went viral a little bit. A bunch of people shared, talked about it. And, oh man, 90% of the responses to that question about Adventism were negative. All negative. I mean, seriously, I'm talking about deep-seated negativity. And so some of the folk on there that, that kind of were like, you know, why are y'all so negative? Why are y'all going out hard on the church like that? 
Don't look at the church, look at Jesus. Y'all have heard that before. Yeah, don't get caught up. Anybody ever told that? Don't get caught up in what the, what the church is doing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But a lot of folk, what I notice, man, they've got some serious pains that they've experienced in the church. And I feel like as a church, we ought not be afraid to talk about those pains that people have experienced. I, I just believe that if you're not willing to face your stuff, then you can't fix your stuff. You can't fix it. Now, some folks feel like, man, they're just being negative. But, man, I don't see it that way. I, I really feel like that folks have been hurt by the church. I, I don't know. It just could be me. Maybe some of you have been hurt by the church. And you stayed, praise God. But there are other folks that have been hurt by the church, and they have not stayed. There's somebody who's here today who, who I, mean, I mean, to get you in the building, Took somebody to pray you in here today because of the experiences that you've had with church and church people. Now, here's the conflict that I cannot understand. Here's the conflict I can't understand. That although the church has such a negative reception in the world, when you look at the life of Christ in the word, Christ has the opposite effect on the world that the church does. Now, now here's the conflict that I've been having. I want to see if you guys understand what I'm saying. See, the conflict I've had is growing up in church... I was always taught that we are to be peculiar. We are to be different. We are to stand out and to be separate. We are not to be like the world. Almost to the extent that we should almost see the world in an adversarial relationship. Uh, we, uh, it's us against them kind of thing. But when I look at the life of Christ, I, the people that were the most unlike him liked him the most. No, work with me on this thing right here. I'm, I mean, does that not bother anybody? I mean, have you ever have you thought about that before? Like you look at the church and you see people's reaction. Churches are dying in the United. Let's talk. Churches are dying, especially in the North America. And some folks will say, well, no, we're growing. But the only growth that the church has experienced is immigration growth. People are moving here from other countries and it's jacking up the numbers on our books. But for the most part, the church is not growing. And people, when they hear the word Christian, Adventist, it doesn't even matter anymore. People are not seeing the difference between anybody anymore. They don't care. They just see buildings. They see church folk. They see church clothes. They see all this stuff, and they don't like it. There's a guy who wrote a book recently. says this. The title of the book is, People Love Jesus, But They Hate the Church. I got, a, I, got a, I got relatives of mine who were raised in this thing. Come on, say, talk to me now. Who were raised in this thing. And you know, there used to be a day that when you left this church, that you didn't go nowhere, right? Oh, that's not happening anymore. Because now they got options. We have churches now that have worship services on Saturday too. So they're just looking for somebody to love them and they're, and they're willing to even abandon what they grew up on simply because they've experienced so much pain. And I know, I know, I know some of them are a little off base. Some of them are just going too far. I know we can make that excuse, but brothers and sisters, maybe a few, but there are so many. When I look at the books of Glenville, you're talking about 13, 1400 members on the books. All those folks ain't dead. All 
of those folks didn't move out of the country. All of them didn't transfer membership. Some of these folks, you see them, they're out in the city of Cleveland. I run into them all the time. Hey, Pastor Evans, how you doing? I'm your member. Where have you been? I don't understand. I grew up in Glenville. I mean, this is the thing we're hearing, and it's not just a Glenville thing. It is a world thing. People are growing. Don't be mad. Just let's just face it. If we're going to fix it, we're going to face it, right? People are growing tired of church. Now, I'm going to tell you the kind of guy I am. I'm the kind of guy, I ain't going to leave. I'm too scared. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. Some of you are just like me. If you, if you, some of y'all didn't leave physically, but you left spiritually at some point in your life. Then there were some of you who actually left and you came back. How many are glad that you made it back in light of all that you've been through and all the stuff that happened to you? Praise God for your journey. But understand what I'm saying. And I've studied somewhere in the spirit of prophecy where Ellen White says that there are many souls that are not going to come back to the denomination before the coming of Christ because they cannot handle the pain and the grief that they have experienced in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I'm not making up stuff. I've talked with people that have experienced molestation and abuse and torture in the body of Christ. And let's not beat up on these folks. We've got to find a way to change this dynamic where people like Jesus, but they don't like the church. It shouldn't be that way. Where I mean, think about it. In the, in, in the Bible days, Jesus attracted the people that we repel. No, no, honestly, talk to me now. Did Jesus attracted prostitutes? Jesus attracted uh, 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 sinners and publicans? As a matter of fact, the disciples. Lord have mercy, Jesus. Thank God. Thank God. I, I, a buddy of mine the other day, he posted on Facebook how some preachers try to water down Rahab's occupation. <laughs> Dwayne Dunkley, if, if you're watching, man, thank God for that revelation that God gave you. He said, man, I need, he said, he said, don't water down a, 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 a Rahab's occupation and call her a madam. He said, he said, call it as she is. Rahab was a whore. He said, I need her to be a whore because if Rahab is a whore and God found favor in her and was able to use her to bring the Christ child in, he said, don't, don't try to clean her up too much because I'm not that clean either. And I need to know that there is a Savior that loves sinner. Hey, that there is a Savior that still loves harlots and sinners and prostitutes. And so I'm telling you, I'm working this thing on my mind. I'm saying, God, I'm preaching the Gospels. And in the Gospels, I see Jesus coming in conflict with the church. But I see him attracting the world. Come on, talk to me in here now. I know I'm telling the truth. Jesus was attracting the people that we can't reach. So, so this, is what I, this, is, this is what I came to. There can't be anything wrong with God. If there is a foundational flaw, then the flaw cannot be with Jesus. Oh, come on, talk to me, saints. Come on now, walk with your boy this morning. I mean, they're got, I mean in, in, in the UK, they don't talk back to you when you preach. That's, it's a different culture. You've got to make them talk. But don't make me feel like I'm in Europe right now. I, I've been waiting to get back here where somebody will holler back at me. I mean, I missed Reggie. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I, mean, I missed Reggie. Todd. I said, I need somebody to holler back. Hey, somebody. If you love Jesus, somebody say yes. Uh, thank you, God. 
So the thing is, is that that doesn't make any sense. If the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, then the church ought to relate to the world the same way that Christ did. And so I I said, now what is the problem? And the problem is in Genesis chapter 4. And it started with Cain and Abel. That's where it started. The first baby, this is amazing to me, the firstborn baby was a murderer. Sin ain't no joke, man. I mean, Adam and Eve just ate something they had no business eating. Their baby. I, I, I bet they wished that they would have been fruitful and multiplied before they sinned. At least somebody would have been holy in that family. But outside of the gates of Eden, the Bible says that a, a, an angel with a flaming sword, after Adam and Eve had been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, because God said they cannot continue to partake of the tree of life and have sin in them so that sin will not exist forever, God had to evict them out of the garden of Eden and he placed an angel there with a flaming sword so that they could not get in and under those circumstances was Cain born first boy now you know that Cain had a good upbringing as best he could now I know some of you are good parents but and Adam and Eve did sin but, but, but you're talking about being raised by Adam and Eve. Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm feeling that right now. Can you imagine? You see, it's one thing. See, my, my, I love to uh, sit at the feet of my parents and hear them talk about Jesus. But can you imagine Abel and Cain sitting in family worship and seeing their father's eyes water with tears as he begins to share with them what life was like before he sinned, talking about the days when he looked at God face to face. I mean, do you see the profundity of the warning that he could have given his sons? Sons, do not do what I used to live in there. Their upbringing, Lord have mercy, was second to none. I mean, he had broken, grieving parents. Yes, they had sinned, but they had confessed their sins. God, they had seen the leaves. He showed them the leaves. We covered ourselves in this mess. Can you believe how dumb we were, Abel? Can you believe how dumb we were, Cain? We were so foolish, and we lost all of this. The reason why flowers are fading, and the reason why the leaves are browning, the reason why the animals are not at our dominion and controlling is because of what we have done. Can you see Adam, his big pearly size on his knees in front of his two sons, begging them to accept God as their Lord and Savior? Then on top of that, they now saw their parents dressed in animal skins. I can see Cain saying, why y'all wearing that? I thought, Daddy, you told me that that there was a day where you didn't walk, you walked with no clothes on, that the, the light of God's presence covered you. Why are you wearing animal skins? He said, oh, let me explain to you. He says, this animal that was slain, hear me today, to cover your mama and daddy is a symbol of what is to come. And we wear these, we slay these lambs 
so that we can be reminded that there is going to be a safe. There will be a savior. He is coming and one day he is going to fix the mess that we made. My God. They had the story. But yet, one day they came to worship God. Ellen says that they would come before the Garden of Eden at the place where the angel with the flaming sword stood is where they would come and worship. The family came. Adam and Eve offered sacrifice unto Yahweh. Oh, Lord God. Elohim, Adonai. Look at the tears in Adam's eye. Every time Adam gets in God's presence, when I got to get a praise in here. Uh, when you done came out of something, when you should have been dead and God spared your life, when the weight of the whole world is on your shoulder because of your sin, and you're able to, I cannot see Adam with his lamb slain with no tears in his eyes. I can't see it. Every time he came before God, brokenness in his heart. God have mercy on me and my wife and my son. Forgive us. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now Abel and Cain come. The Bible says Abel who is a shepherd. He does not follow in his daddy's footsteps. But somebody now because of sin has to mind the animals. You missed that. There was no need for a shepherd before sin. Because the animals didn't need to be minded. So now, under his care, he has to care for lambs from beginning to end. And and he is the source of worship. He has got to take these lambs. and, And the Bible says that they both go to worship God. They both are there at the appointed time. They both bring a sacrifice. But the scripture says that God looked on Cain, Lord have mercy, and Abel. And he did not give the same response. And I'm and here I go again. I know y'all know the end of the story. So you got it all figured out. But I ask questions when I'm in the word. And I'm saying to myself, as I see it as it is, Abel brings a sacrifice from what he knows and Cain brings a sacrifice from what he knows he is the farmer he's worked the grounds he's bringing oh I've heard this my whole life bring your best show me that in the Bible I'm not liberal or conservative I'm biblical show me that show me Cain brought his best and guess what it wasn't good enough the Bible says that God looked at Abel and said I give favor to you and your sacrifice I'm talking about worship this morning Then he looked at Cain and said, I give no respect, no favor to you, Cain, to you or your sacrifice. See, when many of us come to worship, we bring a sacrifice and we think the sacrifice that we bring because we showed up is good enough for God. God ain't looking at what you're bringing. God is looking at who you are when you come. 
And this is why I try to tell people all the time when we get into these little debates about what is appropriate and inappropriate in worship. We see it right here in the text. The text tells us what's appropriate and what's inappropriate worship. Cain brought his best that was not appropriate. So let's just break down what the issue was. Cain brought his best. Ellen says this. The reason why he brought his best is because he was he felt it weakness to bring a lamb because a lamb would suggest that he needed a savior. Uh, um, media team, put, put these slides on the screen for me. Put these slides. Put these slides on the screen. Cain worship. Listen to what your girl says. Those who feel no need of the blood of Christ, who feel that without divine grace, they can, by their own works, secure the approval of God, are making the same mistake as did Cain. If they do not accept the, what everybody, the cleansing blood, they are under condemnation. We are not to bring our best to God. Let me tell you why that is an appropriate statement. Because it presupposes that our best is good enough to appease a holy God. It is the highest level of arrogance that can't even be seen in a human being to somehow think, let me break it down for you, that if I keep the Sabbath, God will be pleased. That if I eat meat at home but don't eat it at church, God is happy with that. That if I don't go to the movies but I watch movies at home, God is pleased. That if I know the commandments and know which day to worship, I'm here right now. Y'all know we're here, right? If I, if I pay tithe and offering, if I, and notice, even Ellen goes so far to say he thought that he was doing God a favor because of what he was bringing to the table. Now, here's the problem with this. When you, see, legalism, what did I say, everybody? See, the problem with legalism is not that it has a high view of God. See, most people think that legalism has a high view of God. People who are legalists, like the Pharisees. There were 10 commandments. The Pharisees added 394. And in addition to 394, they added 614 additional rules. And they kept all of them. But yet when Jesus came, he says that your righteousness has to exceed that of legalistic Pharisees. Here's the problem with Cain worship. Cain worship presupposes that if I do enough, that'll make me right with God. The reason why that's a problem is it brings God down to your level and makes you think that God is that superficial to think that your sin is not big enough. And so you think if I just do a few good things, that that'll make me right with God. And God says, I cannot accept that. Let me say it a different way. There is nothing you can do to meet God's approval. I got to get this clear in my seven day of business. There is nothing you can do to please God. Except faith. You can't. 
Thank you, Jesus, for freeing me from that mess that I was under. I, was, I used to be under such a weight of guilt-ridden life. Think if I did this, God would be happy. If I did that, he wouldn't be mad at me. If I did this, he'd be good. I got so sick and tired of that. I said, Lord, if this is the way that you want me to live, I don't want to serve you anymore. you got to teach me something. God said, I got something for you that's better than that. It's called grace. You can. Sunday in Venice. You cannot earn salvation. The cost is too great. Can I help somebody today? Stop trying. Start trusting. Hey, God. Hey. Some of you, your whole life, you feel guilty over stuff that's not even sin. Go to the next statement. Cain thought himself righteous. Jesus. And he came to God with a thank offering only. Now some of us say, well see that's the praise and worship group. These folks they just want to praise all the time. Understand. When you showed up in this building, you came under the auspices of praise. Now, how you praise is your business. But the Bible says, I was glad. I'm Bible. I can't be conservative or liberal. I got to be Bible. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. That's the mindset. If you're here, you ought to be here for that reason. That's Bible. (laughs) But to come and praise and put your behind in the pew and shake your head either approvingly or disapprovingly at what may or may not be going on in worship is not enough. Cain thought himself righteous and he came to God with a thank offering, but he made no confession of sin. Let the entire congregation pause and hear the word of the Lord right now. Cain's problem was he wanted God to look at what he brought and say, good job. You bad boy. Look what you did. Now that's a Christian right there. That's that show off spirit in many of us. Where we come here and oh Lord Jesus, and it only happens here because see, I've run into y'all by mistake in the community. And you don't live like you live out there the way you do in here. But somehow or another, you've convinced yourself that when I'm here, I've got to be a certain way. But when I'm out there, I can do whatever I please. And what God is saying is, I can't accept that kind of worship because it's not worship at all. The Bible says that anybody that worships God must come to him in spirit and in truth. I don't go to church. I am the church. I don't wait for Sabbath to start living right. I live right on Sunday. I live right on Monday. I live right on Tuesday. I live right. Come on in here, somebody. Cain's problem was 
He wanted God to say, you a bad boy. Good, good job, Cain. Look how spiritual you are. But he made, oh, hear me. No confession. When we come in here on Sabbath, go to the next slide. This place ought to be full of prostrate people. When we come, no, let me, no, I'm saying that wrong. See, I got to even unwork that on my own mind. Your whole life should be a life of humility, yeah. of brokenness, of lowliness. You will not open your mouth and talk about people when you know down in your mind there is sin upon sin and wickedness upon wickedness. Who do you think you are? So I'm think that if you come before the presence of God because you've done a few good things that God is pleased with you. It says that Cain acknowledged no need of mercy. Sometimes we make appeals in church Three or four folk come. General stuff. Who needs to repent? It's too long, too long a walk from the balcony, Pastor. They ain't coming. When you are in the presence of holiness, do you realize? Thank you, Jesus. If mercy, if the blood were not on the doorposts, if the blood, if the blood, if the blood were not all over, somebody hadn't prayed you out of the grave. That just in the presence of God, we are supposed to fall like dead men. Pop, thank you, God. The best thing that's ever happened to me is when God humbled me and said, Myron, without me, you can do nothing. But Abel came with the blood that pointed to the lamb. Abel. Let me tell you what God is saying. If I got to choose between praise and repentance, I'm taking repentance. Your repentance leads to your praise. Your praise does not lead to repentance. You're showing up in the building. Oh, God have mercy. See, when, see what a repentance means that I admit and acknowledge. Let me tell you, can I tell you what my point is today? I got one point. My point is, is your worship will determine your relationships. That's where I'm going. The way you worship, relate to God, is the problem with all your relationships. Go to the next one. I got to move. He came, Abel, as a what, everybody? Confessing himself what? When you bring your hips in here, get your nose out of the air. Come in here like you got some sense and you know what the Lord has. <laughs> I got, I'm feeling happy in here right now. When, when you know what the Lord had brought you from, don't let the Lord have to shine a light on you to wake your behind up and give your attention to remind you of where the Lord has brought you from. When Abel came, he came saying, God have mercy on me. His only hope was the unmerited love of God. Next slide. I've got to move. The sense of need. The recognition of what? And is the very first 
condition of acceptance. You are not acceptable because you showed up. Who cares? What favor? Who are you doing a favor? <laughs> Seriously. Who are we doing a favor? Because we're here today. We are not acceptable to God unless we come with a sense of our brokenness and a need to be forgiven of our sins. That's how we get accepted. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next. Now worship. Now here's it. Can I end this thing now? Now here's the mind-blowing thing. See, because we know the story, we would naturally say, yeah, Cain wasn't right. He ended up killing his brother. But you know what precipitated killing his brother? His worship. Oh, you missed that. Okay, all right, wake up, wake up, wake up. Worship came before murder. Your worship is the antecedent. It is the, it is the first step. What did I say, everybody? It's the first what? Yeah. Oh, come on, get this in your mind. How you relate to God, worship, is what dictates how you treat people. Now, let me help you out. Because we've got this new thing now. Don't judge me. Everybody judging. Now, we are not to judge the world. But the Bible says that the saints are supposed to judge each other. Now, can I tell you how we're supposed to judge each other? Y'all, some of y'all don't like this. Can I, can I, listen to me. Can I tell you how we're supposed to judge each other? See, I can, us, by us sitting in here and praising the Lord, we can't make an assessment on who's holy or not. Can you, do you hear me? But you know how we can tell if you're holy? By how, you, you, by the, by how your relationships are with people. <laughs> how you know what my relationship is like? Because... I'm looking at the way you treat folk by their fruit. Let's make a new rule in Glenville that you cannot claim holiness if you are not loving. Uh, uh, media team, take me to my next scripture. I'm so off. Uh, let, let, let me see where. Let me show you this scripture here. Go to. <laughs> Uh, go, no, go to the, the next slide for me. The four levels of relationship. Before we do that, I want to show you something. Re, re, go to John chapter... Go, I'm, I'm confusing you. Go to John 13, 34 and 35. Do that first. I need, to, I need to do this first. Now, the question is, Percy Woods, the question is, do the people of the world that say, can't stand the church, Remember what I talked about earlier on in my message? Church folk judgmental, hypocritical, hypocritical, fake, blah, blah, blah. And the number one thing that folks said about Adventists and that whole thing was they are judgmental. Hypocritical. That was the number one thing. Out of 200 respondents. I mean, I know it wasn't scientific, but it is what it is. We are. I, I am. Anybody said they ain't judgmental, you're a lie. Oh, let me ask you, have you ever looked at somebody and had an opinion in your mind that you didn't express about what you saw, it's human nature. All the time. All the time. Now watch this. The question is, is can people make a determination 
about the church based on our relationship with the world? The answer to that question is here in this text. The Bible says, a new command I give you. Love what? As? Now, on that right now, everybody ought to go to hell. On that scripture alone, we're all damned. To love folk as we've been loved. Who then can be saved except the blood of Jesus? But let me keep reading. So you, now look, look, listen to the intensity of this scripture. You must love one another. This is no option. We're not doing this. I like them, but I, I love them, but I don't like them. Go to the next scripture. Here it is. By this, everyone will know that you. Now, so the question comes again. When I say Adventist, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And on that list, not one person said love. And I can't wait to preach over these next few weeks because many of us have this view of what it means to be an Adventist. Let's talk Bible. The Bible says that the world has a right to determine that you are or are not a follower of Christ based on not what day you keep, What am I here talking about? We peculiar. Why? Because we don't wear certain stuff. Get, get out of here. Are you serious? To conceive that because your skirt is long, that that will be an announcement to the world that you love Jesus. <laughs> I don't eat meat. I'm, jo- I'm God's child. <laughs> what? How foolish is that? Almost tripped. Let me, let me see. Doesn't it sound foolish? We worship on Saturday. We are God's people. And so some will say, well, but Ezekiel says that the Sabbath is a sign. It's not a sign for you. It's God's sign. Your sign is, well, here it goes, by this Will will everyone know that you are my disciple if you love? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel the strut, right? I'm feeling good right now. I'm preaching the word. Oh, I know I'm preaching. You don't have to talk back to me today. I'm walking in humility, but sometimes you know when you're preaching the word. The Bible says that by this, by what? By your love. What kind of love? The kind of love that I love you with. You must love one another by this. By what? By the love that I gave you. How? Only by the Spirit of God can we get that kind of love. Because ain't nobody in here that holy. Now, there are four levels of relationships. Put that slide on and let me close. There are four levels of relationships. Four levels that we play with in the church. And call it love when it ain't. Three of them are not, one is. Four levels of relationships. Let's go very quickly. Rejection. To refuse and deny to be in relationship 
and this is rooted in pride and pain. There are many of us who have relationships with people where it's just straight up rejection. I don't like them. Can't stand them. And a lot of it is grounded in competition. We're this group. We don't hang with the praise team. Oh, those those new members. I don't, I don't roll with them because they with the pastor. Just flat out. White folk? I don't fool with white folk. Gay people? Are you serious? It's an abomination. Uh, so is lying. So is a haughty spirit. So are feet that are quick to mischief. Uh, Proverbs 6. I'm in Bible. I know when I'm preaching the word. That's Bible. There are many of us that operate in this in the body of Christ, and we are not at all impressive to the world. Next level. Going higher. Tolerance. So many of us, we ain't just go, we too, we, I mean, we too religious to just reject folk. So we'll tolerate folk. This means to forbear, to indulge, or just put up with. I really don't like them, but because I don't want to go to hell. And then you're real mad when you come in church and the only seat left is the seat next to the person that you're tolerating. Go to the next slide. This is what the tolerant person says. I'll put up with you, but I won't like it. My heart won't be in it. I won't ever be real around you and take down my walls. Oh, Lord, this is the church. Lord, help us. We don't do anything to harm them, but won't do anything to help them either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm preaching the word today. <laughs> I'm using my time today. Oh, thank you, Lord. Help me, Lord. The Lord beating up all on your boy today. Yeah, is that the truth? Oh, come on, talk to me today. Am I the only one? Huh? Now, now I ain't going to spit on them. But I ain't going to go out of my way to speak to them. Tolerance. Next level. Acceptance. Now, I told you the first three levels, neither one of them is acceptable before God. Acceptance. This is acknowledging, recognizing, or approving someone. Now go, these, are, these, these are those of us who think we, we're doing all right. Go to the next slide. This is what they say. I realize I've been wrong in keeping you at a distance. You know, they just, uh, there was an all-night prayer meeting. They feel convicted. <laughs> or, no, here it is. After this sermon, they're convicted. They got to do something now. They got to do it. They're under conviction. Many of us live in conviction. That's the neighborhood that we live in. But we have not moved to the next step, conversion. And then there's a step after that called commitment. We live in conviction. That's where we live. We love, we just, oh, Lord, I know. And we think that that's okay with God just because your conscience bothers you about it. You think that's pleasing to God. And so this is what the, uh, the accepting person says. I realize I've been wrong in keeping you at a distance. And not attempting to get to know you and treating you as a category <laughs> instead of a unique person. A category, you know what I mean? Uh, the young folk. The old folk. New Glenville. Old Glenville. Middle class. Lower class. Caribbean. African American. I acknowledge you as a son or daughter of God. Go to the next one. 
Oh, here it is. I accept you as you are at all times. Not just when you comply with my expectations. I accept your differences. I'll sit beside you. Share a meal with you. I'll listen to your music. And let you speak in your own language. The next one. I'll relax and stop trying to impress you with my open-mindedness. And instead, truly open my mind to you and to what I can learn from you. That's pretty good. I mean, if we could get there. No, seriously, if we could get there, we might be somewhat impressive to the world. Right? Well, none of these are good enough. Here's, here's the level God's calling us. Let's go quickly. Oh, and continue on acceptance. Acceptance means doing what, everybody? Giving up, trying to prove the superiority of my group and opinions and make myself vulnerable to you. Oh, oh we live in walls in this church. We're here, but we're not here. We're in, now seriously, because we're all in the same building together doesn't mean that we all love each other. Therefore, the world can make a judgment about who we are. Let's go to the, let's go to where God wants us. Nurture. This is the level God wants us. Nurture. What, everybody? To care for. (laughs) To look after. Encourage and support. Nurture is an expression of love that doesn't merely receive the other. It pours itself out for the other. Go to the next one. Nurture doesn't just tolerate, but sacrifices for the other person. This is what what a nurturer says. I will protect you and bless you. That's it. Wow. If, man, you know what? You don't know how good that sounds, man. Man, being in the UK, brother, it was a struggle. Yeah. All right, that'll be enough. <laughs> Yo, but no, seriously. You, you're in one of them levels. And let's be honest. The stuff that we call love ain't love at all. Why are we trying to build a place of grace? Why has the Lord, the Lord told me in London, he says, I'm delaying. I have done. He said, I could have given you the money to start building right away. He said, but just like the children of Israel had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they went into the promised land. There's some stuff I got to get out of you. There are folk in here you don't like, you don't even know them. I'll just use me. There are some people who don't like me. You don't even know me. I'm a big boy. I can take it. You don't even know your boy. We think that we're going to be saved by tolerating people and being nice because we don't want to go to hell. This was Cain's problem. See, because when your worship is off with God and you don't see how much you need him, it causes you to mistreat people. 
And what did Cain do? That kind of worship ended up killing his brother. And there are casualties all over the church. Our worship is murderous. How do you get away with murder? You can't. You can't, not on your own strength. You know how you get away with murder? You got to bring you a lamb. You got to bring you a lamb. I want to tell a story and I want to, I want to end. Desmond Tutu, which those of you who may or may not know him, uh, was one of the luminaries of the struggle for the removal of apartheid. For those young folks who don't know what apartheid is, apartheid was uh, the South African version of Jim Crow that we saw here in the United States, that struggle. When I got to South Africa, you get to see some of the vestiges of that thing remain. Anyway, Desmond Tutu uh, unearthing some of the stories of change that came out of South Africa during that time of just intense oppression, told a story of a widow who was in court listening to a police officer testify of how he murdered her son, a white police officer. He and the other officers set him on fire and poured gasoline on him continually while they partied until there was nothing remain except ashes. Then he went on and said, eight years later, I went to your home and executed your husband at point blank range. If that wasn't enough, they took him, bound him to a pole, poured gasoline on him, and burned him in front of his wife. Just before he was killed, he looked at his wife and said, forgive them. She's sitting in court listening to him testify almost with brash arrogance. And so the judge comes to her and says, what do you think would be a suitable sentence for this criminal? She says, I have three things. She says, first, I want you to release him and schedule him to come to my neighborhood in the ghetto two times a week so that I can be a mother to him. She says, number two. Have mercy, Jesus. When he's done, I want him to take me to where he put the ashes of my son and my husband and help me dig up those ashes so that I can give them a proper burial. She says, the third thing is to show him that I mean what I say. I'd like to embrace him right now in this courtroom and tell him that he is forgiven. A look of utter terror etched on his face. He began to tremble like a drunken man uncontrollably. That widow took her slow steps, marched up to the podium, and reached out her arms and grabbed him. The story says, this is the part that blows my mind, that while she was hugging him, the entire courtroom 
broke out singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Said that the officer was so overcome by the love, tears flowing down his face, that he fainted under the total saturation and permeation of love that was felt in that room. That's impressive. Not your red books. Not your day of worship. Not your clothes. Not your food. Your love. That stuff gets the world's attention. That stuff sends chills up my spine. We got some work to do. Is there anybody here today that needs to be reminded that like Abel, I won't treat folk right unless I recognize how much I need the Lord. Go ahead, Willie. Is there anybody here today as you look at your life You can say, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, oh, bless me now, my the Holy Spirit to work. I want him to work. I I have prayed early this morning on the flight back for there to be a breaking in Glenville today. There is a spirit of Satan trying to come into this church on account of things that have nothing to do with our salvation. How folk worship. Where do we got a woman coming? Are we going to eat meat or not eat meat? What did they do to me 25 years ago? Should I forgive them? There was, God told me, he said, Myron, tell the people that it is an attack from Satan to get our minds off of our need of a Savior. These things, listen, saints, there's going to be so much change between now and the coming of Jesus. Do you realize that? No, trust me. When I, I'm not talking about stuff I'm doing. I'm talking about the changes in your life. God is not going to let you be comfortable and be saved. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, he's going to put you through changes. But when, here's the problem with Cain. God came to him twice and he would not repent. He said, Cain, what have you done? No response. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. 
Am I my brother's keeper? And God told me there is a spirit of unrepentance in the house of God today and it must be broken. Many of us come here and we have not repented of things that we have done and don't realize that the same God that banished Cain will banish you by grieving his spirit. If you do not confess your sins, he will not forgive them. I preached a sermon a few years ago and the basic point of the sermon was this. I am the worst sinner. I got no time to be in other folks' business. I got no time to be talking about this one and that one. Oh, come on, saints. I need the Lord. I need you. I need the every hour. 